Welcome to Love Takes Action. I'm your host, Ellen Adair, and I have the privilege of speaking with people across the country who have faced adversity, conquered their fears, and in the process made unexpected and extraordinary impacts on their communities. Join me as we delve into these amazing stories and meet the people who are changing the world by putting love into action. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life, helping people build better futures since 1845. In today's episode, we're going back to middle school as we visit with Chris Baum, a San Francisco-based school founder, innovator, and author of the book, Finding the Magic in Middle School. Middle schoolers are so underestimated. What would happen if we started to trust them? Middle schoolers need to be around people who are comfortable with their quirks. We have to give them chances to try, sometimes mess up. The heart of it is seeing heroic adventure. If you can finish middle school feeling like, I can be myself around other people, to me, that is a slam dunk victory. So Chris, we are so excited to get to talk to you today. When I think back on my own experience of middle school, I get this feeling of horror in my gut, like it's the deep sea trench of my own life and I don't know what terrifying fishes uh, live there. But you bring such a wonderful, fresh perspective to thinking about it. So what is it that's going on in the middle school brain? Well, I'll say first, I started off in the deep sea trench as well with the horrifying fish. (laughs) And I remember as a middle schooler, people telling me this is gonna be rough this is going to be hard, just try to get through it. Hopefully it's not too traumatic for you. You have three years of your life and PS, three of the most eventful years where your brain grows basically faster than it ever will after that. So I think the reason I'm here is to offer some science and some ways that people can reframe this because it doesn't have to be the deep sea trench. Well, that's great. That's what we all need. <laughs> I think both for the sake of the middle schoolers and also for the sake of people who have middle schoolers in their lives. Exactly. Because often it's a deep sea trench for parents as well, where you know we're caught up in our own anxiety or fear. And, and just simply our kids are changing so much that the ways we used to parent may not work anymore. What is it about middle schoolers that you think is misunderstood? I think because of the story we have about this is just an inherently hard time of life, we think of them as difficult, annoying, resistance. And actually, I don't think any of those are true. To me, all of that is a symptom of middle schoolers not being in an environment that's set up well for what they need. To me, they are people who are very positively driven towards certain key developmental needs to figure out who they are authentically, how to be among other humans, and how to contribute something and feel like a valuable person as a result. So when we help them do that developmental work, you see kids who are sincere and excited and motivated and amazed at how much they're changing. And if we don't help them do that work or we actively you know, try to resist it, That's when you see the frustrated, checked out, resentful, talking back to you middle schooler. When did this understanding begin to take seed for you? You know, definitely not when I was a middle schooler. (laughs) It was way... (laughs) I just thought, I'm just trying to get through this, you know, one foot in front of the other. And I feel you. (laughs) When I was in college, I was just starting to reflect and realizing, I'm not sure if it had to be this bad. Like, 
Is it inherently a terrible time of life or is there something up with how we structure it that makes it like that? So then I decided to teach. I became a student teacher in a seventh grade classroom in Philadelphia. And that just shocked me so mm. much because I felt like all of a sudden I was trying to force kids to do things that were not at all what they were motivated to do. And I was really asking myself, like, is that just how it has to be? Is school about kind of dragging you reluctantly into learning something? Or can it be different? Can we tap into those motivations to fuel what we're trying to do in school? And goes without saying, since I've been doing this now 20 years more, I really feel the latter that you can make this time one that's powered by middle schoolers motivations and not fighting against them. Were there any particular aha moments for you that you remember from the classroom? In my very first experience as a student teacher, I was teaching social studies and I had a student who was kind of, I think, wanting to be the class clown. And the yeah. first few weeks, I just was so traditional about it. It finally hit me at some point, like, this is not going anywhere good. Like, it's not working to change his behavior and it's making the class feel kind of tense and unproductive. Mm -hmm. So I tried an experiment of I'm going to flip things a little bit and give him more power. Uh, we had decided to call an election for a government. We would do a simulated government and I knew he was going to win and he absolutely won. And then I decided instead of talking at them, I was going to show up in class each morning with a newspaper that I had written that were events in their worlds that they had to respond to as a government. And it was just such a fun thing because this kid who had such social skills and was using those to kind of subvert the class when he had power and an interesting challenge and was mostly just trying to work with his peers and I was in the background. Turned out he was an amazing leader and he had to struggle through all of these things to figure out how do we respond to this conflict. So that stuck with me. Was that sort of when you began to realize that a change was possible in the way that we teach middle schoolers? Yes, I mean, that and just reflecting on my own experience and starting to question everything, more or less. Like, why do you have to do all of your work alone when so much of what middle school is about is figuring out how to be with other people? Shouldn't we work together and work in teams and collaborate and have to figure that out? That was the first of many moments where I realized middle schoolers are so underestimated. Hmm. They can do things in the world. They don't have to be babysat and given lots of busy work and just kept from harming anyone. It's the opposite of that. You know? Right. These are people who, for most of our evolution as a human species, were basically at the beginning of adulthood and asked to do things to support other people, to be valuable, to contribute. So it's great that we get to keep them in school for longer. That's an improvement in our society. But if we don't honor that they have so much more ability than they did in elementary school, then they won't trust us because we're clearly babying them. Right. And they'll be frustrated. So that was just one of those moments where I realized they have a lot more ability than I ever gave them credit for. And what would happen if we started to trust them more? Of course, they're going to rebel if they feel like they're being babysat. But if they're given agency, then they're going to flourish, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. It's a funny thing that I think middle schoolers, they want to be babied at times when they request it because they're still stepping out of childhood. Uh -huh. But if we force it on them and treat them like little kids, it's the fastest possible way to piss them off. <laughs> so we, 
we have to take a step outside of our own comfort zone and believe that they can do a little bit more. And whatever our fears are about them, particularly for parents or we've seen them when they were younger, that we have to give them chances to try, sometimes mess up like all of us would want for ourselves. So how readily have your suggested changes been accepted by the system, as it were? People are very open to change. Particularly, I think parents and teachers of middle schoolers often feel highly frustrated uh -huh. that the way this is going doesn't feel great. They're encountering a lot of resistance. It's not fun for anyone when that is happening. So I think the system changes after people have a better developmental understanding. Comparison is with really young kids like newborns, infants, toddlers. If we didn't understand what was going on developmentally, all new parents, you know, we would tear our hair out. It would be too hard and bewildering. It's still hard, but when you understand those developmental stages, you can guide a child through it and you guide yourself through it. So I really feel the same is true with middle school. I don't know how to change the giant education system, but I do know how to offer people some developmental ways of understanding middle schoolers. And I trust that will change the way we parent and the way we teach. So if I'm understanding correctly, it's ultimately a better developmental understanding that's the origin of your methodology. Is that right? That's exactly right. I think the key is that when a young person is getting closer to puberty and starting puberty, there are a series of predictable brain changes that completely transform how they experience themselves and the world around them. In particular, that turn them into a social being. So a younger child, like an elementary schooler, is often just not aware of their social impact or how they're being judged socially, how they're being grouped, at least not in the way that an adolescent is. Mm -hmm. So when puberty starts and that social brain turns on, all of a sudden they realize they're constantly being judged. They're being put in some social hierarchy. They're included sometimes and not at others. And that realization causes a total change in their sense of identity and in what they're motivated to learn. Middle schoolers become intensely motivated by peers. They want to understand how to be a friend, how to be in a group. Can I be in different groups that value different things? You know, can I repair a friendship if something goes wrong? So that's one of their key developmental drives, the social drive. Mm -hmm. The first I mentioned before is the drive for identity. You know, who am I authentically now that I realize that every identity choice I make is going to have social consequences? So when you first realize that often, you just want to conform. Let me just copy what that kid is doing over there because they seem confident and safe. <laughs> But hopefully in a healthy social environment in middle school, you start to be willing to take some risks and say, you know, all right, I can kind of be like that kid, but I also have this other interest and I'd like to bring that out or I'd like to join a group that does that. And that's how they tinker toward their authentic sense of identity, which is not just a nice to have, that's where their power is. Yeah. You know, when you know what you love, it's what you'll do even when no one's making you do it. It's where you'll find your gifts, where you'll be more resilient, that's what we hope comes out of their middle school adventure. What does it look like to create a better framework for the students to be their authentic selves? Well, I think the first step is us as adults and how willing we are to be our authentic selves. Mm. So I think sometimes, you know, teachers feel like they have to wear the teacher mask and be always calm and collected. And sometimes parents also feel the same thing. And that's a beautiful impulse we're trying to observe. But if we are hiding our emotions, middle schoolers can sense it. One of the amazing things about the middle school brain is 
they are so much better at reading us than they used to be. Mm. And there are studies that show that middle schoolers' ability to read faces is dramatically improved compared to elementary school. So the challenge is they don't have a lot of experience yet, so they can perceive a lot, but they're not great at interpreting it. So if they see us saying one thing, but showing a different emotion, like we're trying to be calm, but we're really boiling inside, they're going to know something's up. Yeah. But they don't know how bad it is or if it's their fault. So the result will just be that they don't trust us. They don't feel as safe around us. That's just one of the reasons why for us as parents or teachers, being a little more revealing around them, mm. letting ourselves be a little more imperfect, letting ourselves be weird, because actually every single human is weird. It's just some people are hiding it. <laughs> That's, 100%. You know. <laughs> so middle schoolers need to be around people who are comfortable with their quirks. You know, it's why in a lot of middle schools, the art teacher has the best relationship with the students because sometimes they're the ones who have the most permission to be themselves. Are there challenges to empowering middle schoolers that you've seen? There are still boundaries as we're trying to be more authentic. It doesn't mean we share every adult concern on our minds. And sometimes I think people get stuck and say, you know, I can't share everything with them. There are some things that are not appropriate. Of course, it's more just about taking steps in that direction, especially for parents. Because if we're used to parenting them as they were, you know, at five years old or eight years old, the way we talk to them, how much we reveal about ourselves, it really needs to change when they get toward puberty just as a way to honor them and start to connect on terms they're now capable of, you know, more complexity and to ask them questions about what their social world is like, how their identity is evolving. Those are fun questions for middle schoolers to get to explore that you couldn't necessarily ask a five-year-old or an eight-year-old. What is a curriculum that is more empowering for middle schoolers look like? I think the first part of it is understanding that our social skills and our emotional skills shouldn't be left to chance. I think in the past people thought, you know, it's all personality. Some people are just volatile or some people are just good at making friends. But to me, one of the most optimistic findings over the last 20 years of research is it's not chance, it's not personality, it's a skill, it's a set of skills. Hmm and you can teach those skills. And middle school is probably the optimal time, I would say in our whole lifespan, to teach social skills in particular, because it's when our brains have just opened to the social world and this flood of information is coming in about all the social dynamics around you. Yeah. So they're naturally interested, so we may as well teach to it. That's why I think things like social-emotional learning are fantastic parts of a middle school curriculum. Ideally, not just in a way where we're talking about emotions, but we're helping them process emotions and social situations as they're happening. Can all of your innovative ideas be scaled for larger classrooms? To me, the core of this is about changing adult mindsets. Mm -hmm. So if a teacher in a classroom feels that middle schoolers are just a squirrely, difficult bunch, that's the mindset that needs to change. And that will change the classroom, even if every other part of it, the curriculum and all the rules are still the same. So the heart of it is seeing, I think, middle schoolers as people on a heroic adventure. You know, to change that much, I mean, literally, if we can remember it, to wake up with your body feeling maybe really different, your emotions are more intense, your social world is getting way more complicated, and just simply you're way smarter than you were a few years ago. Mm -hmm. That level of transformation, which we never feel again at that pace for the rest of our adult lives, that is a heroic adventure. So if we adults can hold that mindset that these are adventurers, you don't necessarily need a boss with you on an adventure, 
you need someone to accompany you who's a guide, who still has authority, but their job isn't to control you. It's to help you have the best adventure possible and to stay safe while you're doing that. I love that it's an adventure and I love that it's sort of like on the quest, we're just supposed to be the wise talking owl or something. You know what I mean? But, it's way more fun yeah, that way too. Yeah, it's like, completely. To try to be the adult that has the answer to everything that's always, you know, masterfully in control is really exhausting and frankly, not what middle schoolers need. Yeah. They have to have that chance to relate to you differently, have more independence, and it lets us be a lot freer too. So you've talked about this a little bit, but what role does curiosity play with middle schoolers? Mm. Well, middle schoolers are intensely curious people and they're intensely motivated to learn about what's developmentally fresh for them. So they're curious about their identity. They are identity experimenters wanting to try out different roles, different ways of being, even different clothes, names, etc. That's all really normal and, and really healthy. They're intensely curious about the social world, anything from simply how to make a friend, which is not something that, you know, we all just instantly learn. It's something that we have to practice up to, you know, how to lead a group or how to leave a group if it's not a healthy place to be. And they're intensely curious about the real world. I think sometimes middle schoolers think that they are practically adults because they can kind of read us better, they can see through us. Mm -hmm. And they want to feel like what they're doing is relevant and isn't just busy work. So if we can meet those curiosities about themselves, others, and the real world, help them test out ideas, then that's when you see them being highly motivated. Do you think it's important for them to name their curiosity? We don't ever want to slow down their experiments. So sometimes they just need to try out something they're curious about for one day only. <laughs> you know, today, I think I might be a theater kid and I'm just gonna talk about musical theater all the time. Mm -hmm. I identify. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, that was who I was then, for sure. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're trying out these different things. One might really fit for the next year or maybe for the rest of their lives, they're gonna have that passion. But it's also possible that the next day it's gone and they'll never return to it. So I think for us as adults, just to give them space and kind of like a warm neutrality, we're not going to shame their experiments and we're not going to try to, you know, staple them on either because the identity they tried on today might just be today's experiment. That reminds me a little bit of this thing that you said, something about the school environment is for allowing for possibilities. Yeah. In a healthy middle school, you feel safe enough and challenged enough that you can try on every possible identity you can think of. And that could be different identities as a learner. Like, am I the one who always likes to do the research? Am I a writer? Am I more of an artist? Am I the one who loves to speak? Try all of those. Also as a friend, you know, with extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. In an ideal world, they get to run as many identity experiments as possible without social consequences. And that way they start to figure out which of these is really me and get comfortable asking that question because we're probably not done with that as adults. We're still testing out parts of our identity or wondering if this is the core of who I am or not. And we want them to be comfortable on that quest for an authentic sense of self. Do you have recommendations for how parents can enable that in their middle school age children as well? 
a couple things. So one thing for parents is that same rule of let yourself be weird. Right. <laughs> you know, we all have lots of quirks and just unfinished parts of ourselves. And it doesn't need to become your middle schooler's problem. But if you can let them know that these are parts of myself I'm still wondering about, mm-hmm. or these are areas where I am just super curious and passionate and I could spend all day on this, just to let them know that that is healthy and they probably have the same thing. Another thing I always like to remind parents is that middle school is a time of the most rapid social learning in our life. And that means that social conflict is going to happen. So if your child gets into social conflicts, to try to not judge them for it, you know, it's not like they're doing that on purpose, most likely, and not panic that that's going to be a social catastrophe, but actually try to normalize that we all have to work pretty hard to figure out how to be around other humans. It's not easy. It takes a lot of practice. And that's really, in many ways, what middle school is for. If you can finish middle school feeling like I can be myself around other people, to me, that is a slam dunk victory. So normalizing that there's going to be missteps, there'll be some conflict along the way, and that we have tools for that. We can help you with that. I can relate to that as your parent. I've had those problems too. Sometimes it still happens. That really helps to avoid that kind of catastrophizing that sometimes happens in middle school where one social conflict or challenge seems like it might be the end of my social life. Yes, I feel like I remember those moments myself (laughs) and certainly would have benefited from somebody telling me that it was safe to be myself because uh, that didn't happen for me personally. That was a journey I had to go on later. But I'm curious, have you found any resistance to your ideas? I think the only resistance is sometimes schools can feel very stuck. Like we have so much pressure on us. You know, we've got to get through this content. We have high stakes tests coming up. How do I have time to talk to a kid about their emotions? Or how can I include something more creative or playful when I've got this heavy load of curriculum? And I think that's really legitimate. Those are huge obstacles. But again, I would say the biggest change is in our own mindset as adults. Even if you have no flexibility as a teacher in what you're going to teach or how you have to fill those minutes, if you hold in yourself that belief that middle schoolers are on a heroic adventure, Mm -hmm. they are figuring out who they are, they are socially motivated, and that's not in order to bother you as a teacher. They are driven to be with their peers neurologically. It's not even a choice they're making and that they want to contribute. You can reliably see better academic results in that kind of environment. I know that you've written a book about this. What was it that made you want to turn these ideas into a book? For me, I think middle school suffers from this terrible story that we just keep telling each other, even though it's not true. Mm -hmm. And it's the story that it just has to be bad. And Because we tell it so much, we start to believe it. And sometimes we don't even look for the good part of those years. We're just trying to like close our eyes and run through as fast as we can. So I wrote the book because I want to point out that there's a very different story and actually one that's much more supported by the science. If we look at how our brains change over the lifespan, there are two times when we're changing and growing the most. That's early childhood and early adolescence. Those are in some ways the most fruitful years of our lives Mm. to figure out who we are and grow into our potential. So let's not just say that those are bad years we have to run through. There is incredible potential there if we know how to meet it. And that's why I wanted to write the book, both for parents and for teachers. I also know that you ended up starting your own school for middle schoolers. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? 
Yeah, so I figured I'd better actually test out these ideas so that I could share these more confidently. And I do think there's a value for having schools that can be labs in a way. And there's a beautiful tradition of lab schools in the education world that can be innovators. So about 10 years ago, I got to co-found a middle school and then lead that school here in San Francisco that was trying to build the entire school experience around developmental science. Things like project-based learning, where instead of traditional classes and kind of lecturing, it's teams that are working on real-world problems where there isn't just one solution. And that really brings out middle schoolers' motivation because they realize this is a big deal in the world. Adults don't even have the answer. Like, it's kind of up to me working with friends to find an answer that makes sense and then maybe argue my point. Mm -hmm. You know, that practices like advisory, a space where a small group of students gets to be just open about how they're feeling, support each other through all the ups and downs of figuring out yourself as an adolescent. So long story short, we got to build the school that is now a thriving, wonderful middle school called Millennium School that I hope is an example of when you get to run with these ideas and really put them in practice, this is what it can look like. Fantastic. Are there any particular stories that you would like to share of examples of programs that you've had or things that you've seen? Middle schoolers can tell which adults are subjective versus objective. So they know that parents and teachers are kind of on their side and they know what we like, you know, what words they should say to impress us. But when you bring middle schoolers to the real world, where it's an objective adult who maybe is, you know, a professional in a certain area they're studying, then all of a sudden middle schoolers realize that the quality of their work needs to be higher and could be much higher. So with that long preamble, the core of the project-based learning at Millennium School is about doing a project that has real-world significance. To give an example of that, in San Francisco, there's a huge problem with homelessness. Mm -hmm. Students see it every day on the way to school, and they know that adults have not been able to solve it. This is not just, you know, worksheet problem we're giving you and looking for the right answer. They know it's a really hard problem. So when students ask, can we do a project around homelessness? We knew it had significance to them. And we gave them the challenge of, you know, could you design a housing solution with this budget that could be manufactured so that we could perhaps create an idea of how to create more housing. So they worked on that for six weeks, building examples, building models of tiny houses, figuring out the cost of them, even how to insulate them, learning all kinds of different science along the way. But then the key thing was on the final day of their project, they didn't just you know hand in a model to the teacher or show their parents, but they brought it to a panel of experts who were the adults in our city who were working on the homelessness crisis. So someone from City Hall, an architect, a formerly homeless person. And that was their, we call, authentic audience. When middle schoolers have to present their work to someone in the real world who doesn't know them but struggles with the same problem, amazing things happen. They work so much harder and then they surprise themselves and they realize, like, I have something to say here and this adult actually listened to me. They asked me questions. They took me seriously. And that really changes their sense of who they are. They start to feel like, I can look you in the eye. I have something to say. It's very different from the kind of stereotypical middle schooler who's too checked out to even talk to you. These are middle schoolers who feel like they have something to offer. What changes do you see in a student when they realize that they are being celebrated for their uniqueness? The first change I notice is how they look at adults. 
I think in a typical middle school, unfortunately, the middle schoolers are also just trying to get through it. They don't want to necessarily connect as much. They just want to kind of be done with this adult-driven experience. I think in schools where adults understand what's going on better with middle schoolers and can teach to that, you see more connectedness. Middle schoolers will look you in the eye. They'll ask you questions. They will share some of the things that they're working on. Sometimes you can just walk into a school and in a few seconds get the flavor for, is this a place where middle schoolers feel it's for them or are they doing this for the adults? Mm. Yeah. I didn't mention the name of your book earlier, but I believe it is Finding the Magic in Middle School. Is that correct? Yes. That sort of sounds to me like that moment is the magic. Yeah. To me, it's just revealing what was already there that sometimes got covered up because of the old ways that we have related to middle schoolers. But they're pretty magical people in my eyes. They are transforming. They're getting so much smarter. They're picking up things about the adult world that were just invisible to them before. And now all that's coming in. They're kind of freshly trying to make sense of it. One of the things I love about middle schoolers is that they have a strong sense of justice. Mm things that we all have gotten used to that frankly we probably shouldn't get used to you know problems in the adult world middle schoolers are noticing for the first time and more or less saying you know what the heck why is this normal yeah and to me that's one of their gifts is if we keep doing things the same always we don't progress and they're going to question them and the more we make space for those questions not only are they happier and more engaged i think that's how our world gets better in some ways, it's like agreeing that middle schoolers are part of the world instead of moving through something in order to get to be part of the world. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, well, you put things so beautifully yourself. I yeah. feel like I'm just trying to reflect them back to you. So we are going to our questionnaire. The first question is, why do you do what you do? I think I'm working on my own self, you know, the middle school self that's in all of us and is usually not that far from the surface. Yes. And my middle school self struggled a lot and was disconnected and bored. And I don't think it had to be that way. I don't want it to be that way for others. With regard to your students, when and where are you happiest? My favorite role as an educator is to lead advisory groups. You know when they're going really well, when the students are mostly talking to each other and it doesn't have to all go through you as the adult. And especially when students are willing to try out and experiment. When you see those moments in a group and they're asking these interesting deep questions of each other and really connecting and they kind of forget that you're there, that's the best <laughs> for me. Looking back to when you started the program at your school, what do you wish you knew then? I wish I could just go back and tell myself that, yeah, you don't have to push aside the social emotional work or the real world projects to just quote unquote, get to the academics. Mm -hmm. But actually you do much deeper academic learning when you're also taking care of your well-being and when that learning is connected to the real world. If you had this environment for your middle school self, how do you think you might be different today? That's a great question. <laughs> I hope that I'm finding my way toward some of those authentic parts of myself that I couldn't find then, but it might have saved me a lot of work in adulthood yeah. and a fair amount of therapy as well. But if you can access that potential earlier, maybe you get to walk down the roads that you're really meant to be walking a little earlier. We hear all the time about lessons that teachers learn from their students. Do you have any good examples of those? So many. Wow. Okay. When they're at their best, 
they have close to adult levels of discernment and insight. And it's pretty wonderful to be around them in those moments. If we relate to them that way, they feel like we're respecting them and they can be that person, even though we know they can be super deep and make a fart joke 30 seconds later. And that's totally okay. Well, so does Shakespeare, you know. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So there are so many moments where a student has shared something really difficult, like they're having difficult situation in their family life, or they're overwhelmed with stress about a test coming up. And before I can even say anything, a peer will jump in with empathy and support. And here's something that worked for me and not sure if it'll work for you, but I can share if you want. And to me, that's something I wish more adults were good at. I think middle schoolers can really surprise us in that way. Oh, yeah, that's the best. It's been such a pleasure to get to talk to you. Oh, such a pleasure. And then, Ellen, I really appreciate the way you were bringing parts of your own story into it. That made it really fun <laughs> and easy to connect for me. So I think you're going to change the world. <laughs> Seriously. One middle school student at a time. <laughs> Starting with that middle schooler that is close to the surface for all of us, probably. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Love Takes Action. If you like what you hear, we invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, add your comments, and share with your friends and family. It's a chance to celebrate the voices of our inspiring guests and their wonderful stories. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or visit our website at newyorklife.com. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life and is for general informational purposes only. References to any financial products or strategies are solely incidental and may not be construed as a solicitation. The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the guests and hosts. They do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of New York Life Insurance Company or its subsidiaries.